I noticed with my couples and also with myself that you end up being very competitive with one another. The individuals are going to experience things differently. It's basically what makes you kick off and what makes your partner kick off. That's sort of part of the problem because if couples try to communicate in the moment, it's not necessarily the right time. Welcome to Sense by Meg Forer, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Forer, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads, just like you, to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the ParentSense app, and catch Makia every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Hello, mums and dads. Um, I am Meg. I am your host on um, Sense by Meg Fora, and I am absolutely delighted to have you join me here each week. And as those of you seasoned listeners know, each week we are joined by either a mum who is presenting with a lot of challenges and, of course, the joys of early motherhood, and she brings me some questions, or we are joined by an expert, a parenting expert usually, or somebody who really has got a passion for something around the perinatal stage, and that's the stage between pregnancy and early childhood. It's a massive period of transition, and I've had some of the most wonderful experts come and join me and come alongside me to share their wisdom. And today is just such a day. Today, I am going to be welcoming Lindy, Lindy Lawrenson, to my podcast. Lindy is a very old friend. Lindy and I, in fact, were at UCT together going back in the day where we studied occupational therapy together. Lindy then went on to go further in her studies and followed a new career path where she became trained as an integrative psychotherapist. And she has then gone on further to really focus very narrowly on couple therapy. And she's absolutely passionate about coming alongside parents and at any stage of their lives and couples to be able to work through those those little niggles that kind of come along for most of us on our journeys. And there's never a period of more stress and strain in a marriage than, of course, when they have a new baby. So Lindy's got a lot of experience. She's been supporting parents for the last 12 years And it is with great delight that I do welcome you here today, Lindy. Welcome. Thank you, Meg. Thank you so much. It's so good to have you here. Now, you are um, wife and mother to two boys and and a wife to Dave, who is a pediatrician. And he's a handful, I think, like all of our husbands are. (laughs) (laughs) So like most most women, we are navigating kind of the new stages of life as we go along. And one of those new stages as we go along is the stage of, of new parenthood. What, in your opinion, are couple are some of the challenges that couples face when they go from becoming a couple to becoming parents? Yeah, there are so many, and I, I wish I had some of the knowledge I had now that would, could have helped me in those early days. And I think things are quite different now. I think couples do get a lot more support in their, their antenatal um, courses and things like that, and there's just a lot more support out there. But yeah, I think there's so many losses, changes and adaptations a couple need to make. And it's really different for each couple and each individual. They will experience it with a different degree of intensity. But I think it it might be helpful just to start with what are the challenges that an individual faces? Because then we can see kind of what is the impact that that has on the couple, the, the stresses and strains and, and changes for the individual. So 
the probably the most common ones, certainly in the early weeks, is sleep deprivation. That can last from weeks to years, but we know about sleep deprivation have been severely affecting mental health, physical health, emotional health. I remember I had quite bad sleep deprivation. I don't know if you did, but I was so moody and grumpy and just lethargic. I didn't have energy for anything. And I certainly didn't have energy for for my relationship. So that really took a toll. Yeah, no, it really does. It's a massive impact. I mean, it affects our mood. And we've just got nothing left to give anybody. And there's this human child who's sapping us of all the extra energy we do have. And by the time it gets to the evening, we've got nothing left for our partners. Yeah. And I I noticed with my couples and also with myself that you end up being very competitive with one another about getting sleep. And it's a great source of um, conflict, really, between couples. Um, And you can end up feeling on opposite sides, like your, your partner's the enemy, you know. Um, another big one, Meg, is roles, just these new roles and responsibilities. You know, an individual is facing a whole new routine. And I think the biggest thing that, that people talk about is the lack of time. There's suddenly just this limited time for yourself and for the couple. You know, a baby is all consuming and you experience this, just this loss of independence, you know, uh, what you used to know and do is just like blown up into something you don't recognize. Yeah. And you almost, I mean, you, you mentioned competing over who's had less sleep, you know, or, you know, who gets to sleep in or whatever. Yeah. But you're actually often also comparing notes on, you know, even if it's just mentally on who's carrying the most load. You know, I'm sure I must have done more nappies today than you've done mm. today. You know, that type exactly. of thing as well. Exactly. So you've got limited resources because you there are limited resources. There's limited time. So that's a great source of conflict for a couple. Then, you know, just thinking of the individual again and how that impacts the couple is you grappling with a, a change in identity, you know, how you see yourself. So before a baby comes along, your identity is shaped by your hobbies, your friendships, your career. And then suddenly you've got this new role as a caretaker and a protector. And for lots of people, that can become quite central to your sort of their sense of self. It's interesting because my youngest child has recently left home and I hadn't quite actually realized just how central to my identity being a mother was until he left home a few weeks ago. You know, that it it was was all of me. It felt like so much of me. Now, it's not a problem if that doesn't happen. I, I, I just want to point out because I think that that can often be, you know, such a difficulty for a couple is when individuals experience things differently. Mm. And do you think this, I mean, do, do you think this absolute obsession with our babies and this complete role shift? And I mean, I was exactly the same, Lynn. I, I ended up um, having definite, you know, kind of a primary maternal preoccupation. I completely was obsessed with everything I was going through. I could hardly speak about anything else. And I can remember one evening at the dinner table and I have the kindest husband, as you know, but it was probably the most unkind thing he ever said to me was I was a new mom and I was sitting at the dinner table with his parents and we were talking about our week and, and I was speaking about my domestic helper and my baby. And Philip eventually looked at me and he said, have you got nothing else to talk about? And I can remember it was like he'd slapped me in the face. And by the way, he's never said, he never says unkind things to me, but that was, it was like a real slap in the face. 
And and my mother-in-law, in fact, I, I got up from the table and I went downstairs to gather myself. And my mother-in-law came down and, and she, amazing woman, she said to me, that wasn't acceptable. You, you need to go back and you need to address it with him. But actually, from Philip's perspective, potentially, he, you know, in other words, sorry, my mother-in-law wasn't saying it was unacceptable that I left the table. She was saying it was unacceptable that he'd said that to me. But probably that was that that role change that this woman who at one point was super interesting and had a lot to talk about actually could talk about nothing else except her baby and her life at home. Mm. So, you know, there's this huge challenge because the individuals are going to experience things differently. You know, there's this obvious one of the pregnant woman going through pregnancy, her body changing, giving birth. And then the the partner being on the periphery of that, being witness to that, is a very, very different experience. Now, one's not good or bad or better or worse. It's just different. And I think, I mean, I remember feeling like that, like feeling when my husband went off to work, just feeling really resentful. But actually, he was just having a different experience. And I I never realized, wow, wow, that was so stressful for him because he was anxious about becoming a new father and this role of, at the time, he was providing all our our finance, you know. So he was just having a different experience. So I I think when we look at maybe how a couple can manage this, it's really important for a couple to share their experiences and to name it. You know, I wish I had kind of asked Dave, what, what are you going through? What, what's it like for you to leave me and Josh at home, you know? And, yeah, so the, 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 we can get onto that a bit later. But Yeah, I'd love to hear the strategies that you would recommend yeah, for this because yeah. certainly I'm sure that every mum who's listening has absolutely is going through this, you know, this, this yeah. change of roles, this obsession with who's doing more in the sleep deprivation. I mean, these yeah. three big things that you've spoken about so far. Yeah, so it's managing these differences and, and it, it boils down to communication, which is connecting and sharing. Yeah, but I think, you know, looking at those individual changes and, and the losses that, that an individual faces in terms of the couple, there's there's so much more uncertainty in the relationship. Now, we all have a need for certainty. It's one of our relationship needs. We also have needs for uncertainty. So that's like variety and spontaneity and excitement. We have needs for love and connection. We have needs for growth. And we have needs for feeling important and significant. So what happens is when a baby comes along, things get a little bit unpredictable and uncertain. And we, we've, we've tended to turn to our partner for that certainty, that security, and suddenly it's changed and we feel we maybe can't rely on our partner for, for, for that anymore. It's just that their life has changed too. <laughs> both, both partners are just grappling to, to try and manage the shock in a way. So lots, you know, when I talk, I don't want to be too generalized in, in terms of the, the way we speak here because, you know, some moms won't feel all consumed. Some people won't find it a shock and some people won't find it chaotic. But I think it's important that we do name these things so that a couple can be a little bit more prepared for when it happens. Yeah, so dealing with the uncertainty in your partner and in the relationship is a big one. And the lack of security, yeah. And that often, I mean, for women kind of it manifests as vulnerability that, you know, like I'm at the most vulnerable I've ever been in my life because I've got to sustain this other human life. 
And I just need somebody who I know I can bet on absolutely 100% that they will be there for me, that they will, that financially that we'll be secure, that I'll have a roof over my head. You know, you know, it's kind of like the mother bird nesting scenario exactly. and that desperate need for security. And and, it, and we do, we feel, and I, like you said, generalizing, but I certainly did go through patches of feeling quite vulnerable, like, you know. But I, I think, yeah, but with the risk of signing stereotypical, you know, I think uh, a man, we, we don't recognize that a man is feeling vulnerable too, the or the partner who's maybe supporting, not necessarily a man, but supporting the the, the household and 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 trying to be, be a protective kind of have a protective role in the, the family's life. So yeah, that again, it, that comes to allowing again, just talking about a heterosexual relationship, allowing a man to share his feelings. You know, it's not all about the woman. It's quite extraordinary because when you think about the number of challenges that a new couple faces when a, when a baby's born, it's almost amazing that our, that our marriages actually, our partnerships actually survive this period. Mm. You know, are, are there strategies, and you mentioned something earlier on, which was communication. I mean, are there strategies that we can employ in order to help us to be able to be, to protect our marriages over this time? Yes, definitely. And I, I think there are probably four main things. There's doing some preparation, so some speculating. Some self-care is really important and taking responsibility for yourself. And then there's communicating and utilizing and finding resources to support you as a couple. So there's quite a lot. But I, I love those. Lindy, could you just reiterate those slowly? So it's it's finding resources outside of your relationship, communication, yeah being prepared ahead of time. And then the, the fourth one was? Self-care. Self-care. Lovely. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. We, I mean, each of those need an episode of, on their own. Yeah. Uh, but let's dive in a little bit. Okay. I think I would start with communication because if you've got some good awareness of your communication style and some some resources and techniques that, that can help you to communicate better when a baby comes along, because you've just got this added stress in the system. And so you're needing to actually really be prepared. And so if you've got some basics of about communication, then you can apply that in your preparatory work. You can apply it for self-care. How do I get my needs met with my partner? And you can apply it in finding and utilizing resources too. So, you know, <laughs> I, I can't stress enough how good communication is, is key to a relationship because it's it's how a couple connects. It's, it's that feeling of being loved, valued, important and special and supported. So, and also I think especially with having a baby, it's how you can get your needs met. You need to communicate about how can your partner help you fulfill those needs. So, and, and because there's going to be more conflict, communication is key to managing that conflict. You know, there was a study done, done by John Gottman who studied couples for 30 years. It was the longest study ever done, is the longest study so far. And they looked at what, he looked at what kept couples together and what, what made them happy in, in the end. And the couples that stayed together and were happy were those that this episode is brought to us by ParentSense, the all-in-one baby and parenting app that helps you make the most of your baby's first year. Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? When to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? 
ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips, and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting. And the couples that stayed together and were happy were those that had good conflict. So it's not about an avoidance of conflict. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And it's not about, yeah, not having conflict. Mm. It's having a good fight. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I think the re- reason I say I love that so much is because Philip and I are super strong. I mean, anybody who knows me or my husband personally will know that we, we are two forces inside a house. And, yeah. and we have navigated a, a marriage that to date has been very successful. And But we fight. Oh, my gosh, do we fight. And my youngest, in fact, all three of my children are quite conflict avoidant, but my youngest becomes quite, you know, thrown by it. And she'll often say, you know, you, you guys shouldn't speak to each other like this in front of me, or, you know, do, you, you can't do this, or, you know, she'll really have, she'll have it after this because she's a real verbalizer. I mean, she, she communicates, communicates, communicates. Yeah. And, yeah. and every single time Philip and I respond in the same way saying, this is healthy. This is what we do. We, we have it out. And at the end of it, we still love each other. We absolutely love each other. And, you know, and, and we never call each other names or, you know, there's no, obviously no, no, no emotional abuse or toxicity in it, but mm. it's a good and robust discussion. Mm. And we both leave the conversation believing that we were right. So it's not that we ever, you know, kind of give in. It's, it really is tough in our household. But Emily knows that our marriage is secure. And a couple of times I've said to her, you know, in watching the fact that we, we can resolve this and can they love each other as much as we do afterwards, it's mm. super healthy for you in your marriage because you can see that fights don't mean divorce, you know. Mm. Fights mm. mean, you know, resolution. That's mm. what they are. Mm. And same in our household. In fact, my, my one son would get really anxious whenever we would go into couple therapy because we'd do it on Zoom. And I'd say, <laughs> don't worry, this is really good. <laughs> you know, sure. And yes, because we're talking about things, you yeah. know, so talking about things. But there is a way of, talking Megs and I mean well there there are two things that that maybe we need to bring up about communication there's first for a couple to think about and I really recommend this before having a baby because as we know with having a baby there's just limited time but to really try and understand what are your patterns of communicating of relating to one another how do you respond and react to each other it's really really important to know your patterns Um, And it can be a resource that you use for the rest of your life. So it's it's far too complex to go into here, but it's about our patterns being unconscious processes. So we don't know what we're doing and why we respond and react the way we do. It just becomes an automatic way. Over time, we develop this very practiced way of responding to our partner and them responding back to us in a certain way. So our patterns are rooted in our childhood. So that's why it's quite complex. The way we learn to respond to people in our in our past, particularly our parents, and the way we learn to protect ourselves from pain in our relationships, okay? So we develop this certain kind of template for behaving in relationships. So, for example, if I was lonely as a child and my parents weren't around much, I might have protected myself by learning to just to avoid people or withdraw from relationships as that was much better for me than if they were you know, hoping that they would pitch up and then being disappointed and feeling the pain. So 
that person, the hypothetical person we're talking about, would use this behavior in all their relationships, particularly their intimate ones. So we adopt our certain unconscious way of behaving in our intimate relationships. So, Lindy, that's something super deep to explore because, I mean, just, yeah. I mean, as you're speaking, I can't even think or identify what my pattern is, you know. So, I mean, that's obviously something that you want, would want to do prior to having a baby. You'd actually want to go and, and work out what, what your pattern is. Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend for people, you know, therapy is quite expensive for a lot of people. So it's, it's quite difficult to do that. But it's it's helpful to just try as a couple to identify the behaviors that you do. So, for example, if I get tearful and my partner responds to that, typically by maybe getting frustrated, mm. then I respond to his frustration by maybe getting more tearful. Mm. He responds to my more tearfulness by leaving the room. So we can start to identify what, what happens. Maybe it happens every day. Maybe it happens once a week, maybe only every month or so, where your partner does something and you, do, you react to that. So just naming it, you're bringing something into awareness. Mm -hmm. If you can explore what that's about, that's a, a real added bonus. A whole other level. Yeah. yeah. But it's basically what makes you kick off and what makes your partner kick off. I sort of see our patterns as like reading lines from a script. I read my lines and it's an automatic reading of my lines, my behavior, and they are triggered by that. So that so there's two things here. If we can notice our triggers and notice our patterns, we've we've gone a long way in setting kind of a baseline of understanding a more healthy way of communicating because if I notice my partner's triggers, and I know they're connected to his childhood pain, maybe. I know that his reaction and response is connected to something more unconscious, that he's not doing this intentionally. Then I can have more compassion for him. And I can think, oh, an empathy. Oh, I don't want to trigger him. Mm -hmm. And so if our partners can notice our triggers, and we can notice our triggers, yeah. we already just creating this far more um, empathic relationship with each other. Mm, you know, very interesting. I don't know. An example might be like maybe I get all fretful when my partner um leaves the home in the morning. You maybe I've just had my baby and I'm all anxious about being on, on my own at home. Um and maybe it's triggered like an abandonment thing for me, you know. If my partner gets frustrated with that because he's got to go to work, yeah. He's not going to give me what I need, which is just will take a second of a, another hug and a bit of reassurance. Mm. So if he's aware that I'm triggered when he leaves the home and that I feel abandoned and left, then he's able to respond to that. Mm. So I really recommend if you can identify your pattern, then you automatically identify your triggers. Yeah. You see what I mean? Interesting. I do. Yeah. I mean, it's super interesting. I mean, just listening to you as you speak, I mean, I've I've become conscious over many years that just before I go on a trip overseas or away from my husband, we have a fight the night before. Like, and I I, I mean, I you can I can always write the script. Like every it always happens. Mm. And I could never work out why it was that, you know, that, that this would happen. But I wonder if it was that, you know, that fear of separation that would 
that, that would, would, would trigger me in, in oh. some way. And maybe if I could have articulated that to him, then the night before he would have been a little bit more insightful to go, okay, so mm. this is what, this is why she's picking this fight, you know, because, you know, she, she, she's got this unconscious process that she's going through. But he, um, would, he would have been triggered by you too. You see, mm. you can't start with, oh, it was you that mm. was triggered first. Maybe he was triggered by you going on a trip and him being yeah. rejected and abandoned, yeah. you know. Yeah. So... It's about one of the biggest things in a relationship is not pointing fingers at the other, not blaming them. So, oh, if you didn't get so tearful, I wouldn't get frustrated. No. It's looking inward as well. It's looking inward. It's turning your finger towards yourself. Mm. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, Lynn, this is absolutely fascinating. And I think that this warrants a whole nother conversation. I think before we go on to any of the other topics that you've spoken about, let's rather just um, deal with communication as as kind of the key thing today because I think okay. that, that is I mean I, th- I think it is just so so important yeah. I mean I think you know as we draw towards the end of the podcast because um, unfortunately we just don't have time to cover everything off maybe you could just give moms and dads a couple of kind of practical tips on on how to develop communication yes you've given us a very good tip around you know have knowledge ahead of ahead of, and so you can have insight. Mm. Um, are there any things that you can recommend practically in the moment in terms of communication? Well, that that's sort of part of the problem because if couples try to communicate in the moment, it's not necessarily the right time. Ah. You actually need to make time and space to communicate because in the moment you're probably going to react automatically. Mm. And so for difficult conversations, it's really important to say, you know what, we need to talk about this. We need to create space and time that's going to, we're going to appreciate each other. And it, it's a, there's a sort of a technique, I call it um, a talking and listening space that a couple need to create. And it sounds so basic, but it is difficult mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's vitally important. So build in talking and listening space into your lives, especially before having a baby. Now, a talking and listening space isn't really a discussion and it's not intended to resolve anything. What I find is it often resolves things automatically because what you've done is you've had a space to be be heard and be valued. Mm. Actually, often empathy can come from that. So Mm. the job of the talker, so you decide who's going to talk and who's going to listen. The job of the talker is to be clear and concise. And to talk for about two minutes or so, because a listener can't listen for much longer than that. It's too much big of a job. And the talker must not use any attacking words. So I recommend that the talker doesn't use the words you. So you make me feel, or you don't understand this, or you didn't empty the the bin. Mm. Talk about I. So use I statements. So I felt ignored when you didn't um, empty the bin. So just express yourself using I statements and then the listener needs to be an active listener. So they need to put themselves aside. They need to just be there and really hear what the person is saying without developing a defense. They don't have to fix anything. They don't have to defend themselves. This is not an argument. This is not a discussion. It's an a task of listening and hearing. So when the listener, when the talk is finished talking, the listener goes, 
the listener needs to reflect back what they heard. So they say, what I heard you say is such and such. And they, they really just can paraphrase. They don't have to go into any deep analysis or anything. And I have found in my work with couples to this exercise to be absolutely transformative. And then obviously the couples swap roles, talk and listener. Lindy, this is absolutely magical. It's probably the most powerful thing. Philip and I actually went through this type of therapy many years ago and it changed our marriage. But nobody ever told us about this, you know, kind of in these words when we were, before we had kids. Yeah. So to summarize what it is, you're going to be have talking space. You're going to create a, a bubble of space that needs yes. to, and, and I think what's really important there is that you really do set aside time, that, it, that it's not just done on the fly around the table while the kids are there. Yeah. Um, it's it can be a date night maybe or a you know you know a walk in the park or a conscious walk on the beach where you're yes. saying right this is our it's our time yes. you each take on your own role the one is the talker and the one is the listener yeah the talker from what I heard you say speaks for no longer than two minutes because that's how long people can contain the the thoughts mm. and 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 they don't use you words they don't use mm. accusational tones or you words yeah and then the listener afterwards then after the two minutes reflects back what the talker mm. said to them mm. and that in and of itself doesn't fix mm. it. It, it nobody's trying to fix anything you're no. just listening yeah exactly it's about being heard and having, having a voice and then letting that settle it is such a gift to people you mm. don't realize what a gift is and you know to care to having transformed your relationship is amazing mm. and it's it's been huge in our relationship mm. also just having well, that yeah well we, we we got to a point where I mean my husband always jokes that we we were having passage sex you know if you if you <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad but there were moments where it was really you know quite quite hardcore where we just were not oh. seeing eye to eye it was in that oh. in the heat of me I'm running the baby sense business. I was, you know, I was, I had a two-year-old, actually, I think she was younger than that. You know, yeah. we just weren't communicating and we yeah. actually went for Imago therapy, which is what this does. Although they didn't limit him to two minutes of speaking. <laughs> and the first time we went, he spoke for a full 40 minutes without taking breath. Um, and when, and then I had to reflect back to him what I'd heard him say, which I managed to do in only five minutes because he'd spent a lot of time saying the same thing. <laughs> and the very next day, he sent me the biggest bunch of flowers that I've received in my oh. life. Oh. And I know that it was just, we didn't solve a thing. It was just yeah. that he felt heard. And mm. I think it's just a critical piece of advice, you know, in the communication journey. We, you know, mm. there's, it's not a, it's not brain science. It's not rocket science. It, this oh. is the most basic thing you can do. And it is magical for sure. It is because we're so used to building up our defense and having an argument and yeah. then no one is heard. Exactly. So you might as well create the space and take it in turns and see yeah. what happens. So it, it can be magical. Well, Lindy, I think that we have only just scratched the surface. Yeah. I wanted to get into self-care. I wanted to get into a lot of the other things that you mentioned there. And so we're going to have to have another session together. But for now, this is what we have time for. Moms and dads, I know that this has been a treasure chest of information for you. Lindy, if people do want to get hold of you, do you do Zoom consultations? Yeah, yeah. And how would they get hold of you? Do you have um, an email address or a website? Relationshipexplored.com, yeah. And is it relationships or relationship? Relationship. Relationship explored. Yeah. <laughs> explored. It's a relationship explored.com. Yeah. Lovely. Okay. So moms and dads, if you do want to get hold of Lindy, probably one of the best investments you could make in your marriage is to learn some good strategies around communication. 
and also to understand the underlying patterning and what's going on behind your behavior, which Lindy would help you to explore. So certainly a worthwhile investment in your marriage. Lindy, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been amazing to touch base with you. It just really strikes me how common so many of our journeys are, how we all go through the same stuff early on in our marriage and in our in our relationship when we have little kids. So thank you for shedding light on it. Thanks for having me, Max. <laughs> Lovely. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.